we're in Colossians, and if you are new to this arena here in the teaching, welcome to the main message. This is this is what we teach here today, because we're in Colossians chapter three. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossa that is doing really really well. Yet they're struggling with a bit of a little bit of legalism. They're struggling with a little bit of uh, philosophy. They're got false teachers that are coming in and telling them things that just you know Paul had not told them, and it it doesn't line up with what they've been taught. So he spent the first couple of chapters talking to them and saying, hey, you don't need to be doing this, the whole food thing and everything else, it's Christ in you. And so now you get to this part of the letter. Uh, He didn't divide it up into chapters, we did. But you get uh, to chapter 3, and he's actually taking this biblical, historical truth that he's experienced and turning it into application for the, the church. Now, to me, it's like uh, you move from declaring and defending the truth, which uh, I think sometimes I've tried to do that in conversations and stuff, and now I'm living out this word as life. I, I don't need to defend it, I just need to live it out. I think I'll have discussions, uh, but you have to keep in mind what Paul's dealing here is that the pagan religions in Paul's day, they, they, they really said nothing about uh, personal morality. Literally, people would go and make sacrifices to the gods or lay an offering on there, and then they would just go about and do their life and all their sin and everything else, and it really didn't matter to them. What was religious to them didn't match up with the way that they actually lived their life. And so that was the pattern that was being established for even the believers there, is that it really doesn't matter what you do as long as you just pay homage to your God, you know, that you, it didn't line up. And so that's what he's dealing with. Uh, so a person who, who believed that they had no direct relationship with how he behaved, he's trying to fix that pattern. And he's wanting, he's wanting people to connect with his understanding, get this, he's wanting them to understand their identity in Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. I, I, I get that Jesus died for us, and his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins, and those were not only taken away, but they're gone forever. Whatever you've done, whatever you're doing, whatever you're going to do, that was dealt with at the cross. I'm thankful for salvation. But if I, if I can like express to you, if I can convey a message to you, like I'm, we're taking these students to camp next week, and if I can just let them know what they have as believers and who they are and what they've been made to be, we're good we'd be good if they can just soak that up. So Paul, now he's turning his thoughts to more positive aspect of Christian living in this section of the scripture, 
previously in like chapter 2, he was talking about how people were entrapped by all the religiosity that was taking place. So uh, let's get into chapter one, or chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, he's talking to believers. He, he, we've already confirmed the fact that we are in Christ. So when Christ was crucified, you were crucified with him spiritually. There's something in you that died. Something in you died when Christ was crucified. He was buried, we were buried, and he rose again. And when he rose again, he allowed us spiritually to rise again. And there's something new about you. Something died, was buried, and rose again. If you've been raised with Christ, it's, it's literally our exalted position in Christ it's not a hypothetical thing. It's actually happened. It's not a positional thing that someday when I die, I get this position. I'm literally raised with Christ right now. I don't have to strive for anything. He said it's finished. It's an accomplished fact by Jesus. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ Seek the things above. He's literally saying, set your heart. Set your heart, the morals of who you are on things above. Now watch. It says, seek the things above where Christ is. Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. The People ask, well, why the right hand, not the left hand? Well, the right hand kind of represents the power and also represents this place of prestige. So Jesus is literally, as the soldiers would sit next to the king, so Jesus sits next to God. Now, here's something that you have to know. Jesus said, it is finished. He was buried, rose again, and he went, ascended into heaven, and he seated at the right hand of God. He seated, saying what? It's done. It's finished. I'm sitting down. In the old, old covenant, when they would go to the temple to make sacrifices, the priest would walk around all day long making these sacrifices with animals and doing everything. They never sat down. They never sat down. But Jesus said, those sacrifices are done. It's over. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, it says, but this man, after offering one sacrifice, one sacrifice. He died one time for sins forever, forever sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. That comes out of Psalms. It says, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. By, uh, by Jesus dying one time, he perfected you in this room, those who believe. He made you perfect. I get that you still sin, that you still make bad choices. I do too. But that's been dealt with. It's over. It's finished. He sat down. He dealt with it. it 
And I get it as a pastor. If I say that to you, then I'm like giving you a card to like just go out and do whatever you want. We call that a license to sin or whatever. But I honestly believe that if you figure out your identity in Christ, it's going to take away your want to to do that. It literally changes what you want to do. And so I'm going to trust what the Spirit does in you and what the Word says rather than just think, oh my goodness, they're going to go off the rails, which sometimes they do. But look, verse 1, he says, seek the things above, like set your heart on things above. But then he comes back in in verse 2 and he's set your mind on things above. Not just your heart, but now your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Huh. Living in the society today with the stinking social network and news and everything else, how do you take your mind off the earthly things and keep it on things above? He's like, seek the things above your morality, but now he's like saying, set your mind on things above. I need you to mentally lock into what's taking place up here. That this is for real. It's a spiritual world that we live in. Yeah, there's chaos and there's the physical, all that that's going on, but you need to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You have to know this. Jesus not only died for our sinful nature, but he also died so that we would have a way out of making bad choices, chasing our flesh. He's literally given us the power. Dale sang in that very first song, taking the old off and living the new. This is what you have to figure out. And this is literally what Paul's trying to say. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, Some people will say, okay, when God looks at me, my life is hidden in Christ, that Christ stands between me and God, and because of that, you know, I'm all good. The deal is that Jesus, God, changed my life myself. Like, they literally changed me. Jesus is in me, and I'm in Jesus. He's not standing here in front of me. He's literally made me a new creation. I'm righteous, I'm redeemed, I'm holy, I'm perfect because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's that simple. This, this is literally, that verse right there is, is Romans 6 through 8, which you, you devour in Bible studies all the time. But if you were to take Romans 6 and 8 and say one verse, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. It's not that our life is peripheral outside of Jesus. Our life is Jesus. That's it. Verse 4, it says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Eternal life wasn't some separate gift that I received. It was all encompassed. I received a life in Christ, which is eternal. When I was in Christ, I literally went all the way back to eternity past. 
if I'm in Christ, and I'm in the present, and I'm all the way eternity future, I'm in Christ, the moment that I believed. So I've always been with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says that I'm seated with Christ at the right hand of God. Where am I right now? Yeah, you see me sitting right here, but I'm seated at the right hand of God right now. I Don't ask me to explain that. But I believe I'm there. I don't think my mom's waiting for me to get to heaven. I think I'm there. Yeah. Sit on that one for a while. I mean, what is our life here? (laughs) Uh, The Colts, baseball, sports, cars, work, family, kids. That's our life, really. I mean, I have knowledge of that, you know, shopping, food, all that, all that that entails. We can talk about those things all day long. But if our life is Jesus, I promise you that every conversation is going to wrap around and come around back to Jesus. Yeah, it, it, can, it can start out with whatever subject you want, but it's going to come to that. And... uh, uh Brent uh, can attest, I I can go to a ball game and I can wear the opponent's jersey. I can literally go to Chicago, the south side, and wear the opponent's jersey. And there's something about the Spirit in me that allows me to walk through three parking lots with Rangers gear on. Go sit in the stadium, watch a game, watch my team get beat. Walk out, and the only people that talk to me are people that are like, Hey, welcome to Chicago. Hey, are you from Texas? Hey, is that... You know, there's a spirit of God in me (laughs) that I honestly believe I'm different as a fan. And I can sit in the stands and I can have a conversation about baseball and Jesus. Like, it's that different of a life. I I truly believe the glory of Christ in me and in you will captivate the minds of unbelievers as well as believers. I, I believe that. There's something about the glory of God in us that should be an attraction, that should be like causing people to ask questions, to start conversations. I used to, I was taught, I was trained that I was supposed to make those conversations happen. But I truly believe just by being who I am and knowing who I am and keeping my mind on things above and my heart on things above, those conversations will happen naturally, and they do. Verse 5, you're you're a little sticky here. says, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. 
in my translation, I marked out that word nature. I don't agree with that term that this translation used. Why is that? Because I believe when he's referring to an earthly nature, he's talking about a sinful nature. Now, if you talk about an earthly body or flesh, which other translations will say, other translations will use the term body or flesh, then that makes sense to me. But to say that it's my nature, therefore put to death what belongs to your nature. And well, my nature was put to death when Jesus died. My sinful nature was put to death. I have a new nature. But I'm still living in this earthly body that has some entity in it called the flesh, which still is a problem. It's a problem for me. And then he literally begins to list these vices. In uh, that culture, to name five in a row was to like be philosophical about it. And so he literally names five in a row. Four of them consistently refer elsewhere to sexual sins. And then he adds a fifth one which deals with covetousness. But what we're talking about is really sins of the body. This is sins of the body, sexual immorality, we're talking fornication. I mean, this was rampant. It was rampant in their culture. Impurity, lust, evil desire, and then he adds the whole term greed. For Paul, the sexual sin actually like harmed the individual individual himself. It was a sin against one's own body. And you forget, okay, my body is separate than my spiritual self. If I'm dependent upon my body and my flesh, yeah, that's going to happen. Sexual immorality, lust, evil deeds, all these things. But if I'm thinking about things above and I've set my heart on things above, That's not the pattern that I'm living. He's literally saying, this ruins relationships. It contributes to this anti-God spirit. Also represents a lack of self-control. And the whole thing is, these are characteristics of the old self. Not me now. He's literally referring to a person who's not a believer and has a sinful nature. This is what they naturally do. It's not natural for me to do these things. So what he's having to do here for the church and for the believers is he's having to state the obvious. This morning, I'm stating the obvious. Some of you need to hear it. Not to say that you're not believers. Not to say that you're old self hasn't been crucified and done away with and that you have a new nature, but you're still dealing with sins of the flesh. Paul's already declared that we've been given the power to overcome those. And no matter how deep we are into our bad choices, we have the ability to make excellent choices. Because there's this Spirit of God 
that lives in us and made us new. Verse 6, it says, Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. Wait, wait, wait. You attach this to those, the, the people that are doing these things. Well, some of you all are doing these things. Does that mean God's wrath is coming upon you? Not if you believe what we've already read. That he's dealt with this one time. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look, as a pastor, I let's just say as a friend, I should be able to come to you and say, hey man, you need to think about some of the choices you're making. And in turn, you should be able to come to me and do the same thing. And it's not out of condemnation, it's out of pure love. Wanting the best for you. And that's all Paul's saying here. He's like, you guys need to think about these things. The wrath of God is coming for those who don't believe. He says, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. You're no longer that way. Your old self has died, and now you're a new person. You are in Christ. So when you were an old self, sinful nature, there were there was a behavior that was established in the body and the flesh. And, and you develop patterns. They occurred, okay? I did this as a child. Now I have this new nature, but this, this former behavior patterns still exist. And as I begin to learn about my identity and who I am, and understanding Christ is in me, that he forgave me, that he made me holy, he redeemed me, I've already been sanctified, that's a religious word, I've already been sanctified, past tense, but now my behaviors are being sanctified. I begin to line up with who I actually am as I learn who I am in Christ. All those behavior patterns that were established in an old self now are beginning to fade away and I have the ability to overcome those behavior patterns. I have the ability to establish new patterns that are holy, righteous, and redeemed. And it's not about me trying to work to do it. It's about him doing it in me. It's his responsibility in me. Your behaviors are changing and lining up more with who you are as a new creation. Verse 8, it says, But now put away all the following. He lists five more things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. A lie is just a misinterpretation of the truth. Even if the words are accurate, it can be a misrepresentation. So now he's listed these five things, and he's like saying, you guys just need to think about what you're doing. The way that you talk with one another the way that you treat one another. Think about things that are above. Set your heart, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things above. He says, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, the old self being sinful nature, 
the new self being you're a new creation. He's literally saying, look, you, you put away the old, now you got the new. Remember who you are. This is your identity. This is it. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. Yeah, we can look at Genesis chapter 1 and we can see that man was created in the image of God. But then you get into Genesis chapter 5 and you read about Adam's sons and it says all of a sudden Adam's sons were created in the image of Adam. Oh wait, if Adam was created in the image of God in 1 and then all of a sudden his sons are created in the image of Adam in chapter 5, well what happened? Well there was chapter 3 in between. It's when Adam blew it, made a bad choice, and he ate from the tree that he wasn't supposed to, and sin occurred. And all of a sudden, we live in a fallen world. And so when you're created, you're created in the image of Adam. I I get it. Wait, I thought we were created in the image of God. No, you're created in the image of Adam. The old sinful nature. You received the seed from Adam. That's where your sinful nature came from. But once you believed, once you believed and he took that old self out, made you a new creation, holy, righteous, redeemed, he made you into the image of Christ. And that's who you are now. And you're moving in. He's like, by the renewing, like the change we just talked about, the sanctifying, that you think about these things, that you set your mind on these things and your behavior begins to line up. You're becoming the image of Christ and you are the image of Christ. Now, now that you believe, it's a great transition. That whole thing involves your your personality, your intellect, your emotion, and everything. It all changed the moment that you believed. And then, verse 11, it says, In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, that's a people group from Central Asia that was north of the Black Sea, and they were worse than barbarians. He's like, we're not only talking about religion and the differences and the circumstances, but now we're also talking culture. He says, or slave and free, but it is Christ. Christ is all and in all. We are all one. If you believe in Jesus, it's all on fair grounds. We're on the same equal grounds. You've got to quit looking at it versus Jews versus Gentiles. Baptist versus Methodist. Whatever. And then, watch this, he changes the whole spirit right here. He's like, this is how you live life right here. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, you're chosen because, wait, how am I chosen? If you're in Christ, eternity past, he knows those who believe, right? If you're in Christ, he's known from the beginning who is going to believe. And so you're chosen based upon your belief. It says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy... And dearly loved, as Matt was saying, you are loved. Put on compassion. Put on, this is like like getting dressed. This is what you do. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Five things. 
kept it with the five. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you. Mm. Drive this home as a community. Like you guys can, we can get upset with one another in here. And it, it, it's hard. You, you can develop attitudes about each other in here. But don't forget the fact that you've already been forgiven for all the junk that you've done. And because of that, the forgiveness of what you've done, we have the ability to forgive others around us. This is literally what Paul's saying. And here's the, here's the factor. Verse 14, above all, put on love. Remember, I can love many different ways. I can be truthful with you out of love. I can be flat out honest with you in love. Love is not an expression only, it's a choice. I choose to love. I choose to love. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity taking 56 people to camp next week. Want to have a good week, y'all? Figure out how to love one another. Want to have a dramatic week? Figure out how not to forgive somebody. It says, And let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts, and be thankful. Be thankful. Just be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Admonishing, you kind of get this thing like, oh, you're busting their chops, but it has the element of, of really being a strong encouragement to one another. That's, that's really what it's about. It's generally practical and moral rather than abstract or theological to admonish someone. He says, in whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Sometimes you just have to remind people who they truly are. That's it. That's why I'll come here every week and I'll remind you who you are. And I'm going to trust that if you figure this thing out, that uh, it's going to be a, a great, adventuresome life for this community. Really. In the context of this letter right here, to the beloved church at Colossae, Paul's reminding the believers, they have, you have two choices. You can either walk by the Spirit which is who you are, your identity, or you can walk by your flesh, the patterns that were established in the old sinful nature. That's your choice. All day long, that's your choice. Walk by the Spirit or walk by your flesh. And sometimes we have to verbally remind people of who they are in Christ and what it looks like to walk as a new creation. Because why? Because we take our minds and our hearts off things above and we put things on earthly things. 
And so we just need the constant reminder. I believe it's the Spirit's responsibility to teach us and to cause us to walk by the Spirit. It's not my responsibility, that's for sure. I take that pressure off of me. But many times the Spirit will use the spiritually mature to vocalize the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. Sometimes you just need to be sharpened by others, be encouraged by others, be loved by others. We hang out all the time aside from Sunday mornings. The, and I don't hang out with every group. There's groups in here that hang out, small groups that happen, and lunches and breakfasts and dinners and everything else that happens. And yeah, we talk about life. But my prayer is that every conversation comes back to Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. Yeah, we tell stupid stories and sometimes you even get crass, just like he's like saying to them, watch your mouth. But the Word, the Word is always going to bring us back to Jesus. That's, that's it. It's really what Paul's saying here. Think about things above. You're holy, righteous, and redeemed. You've been made perfect. So Jesus, uh, thanks for your word today. <laughs> I trust it. I trust it with all my heart that what you have uh, given us in Scripture is truth. That we can understand who we are. That you can be our filter when we're reading, studying, learning, walking, praying, watching. That you be our filter. That you constantly remind us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness. That you would do that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.